was and continues to be. So I, I'm just curious, is there another parable that you think if we understood a little bit more about the environment or a little bit more about the soil, that it might pop open for us? Um, well, this is actually picking up a bit, Mark, on what you were talking about. I thought of doing the parable of the sower um, and looking at just that historical context of this, this people who are living in abject, um, well, some of them poverty, but just oppression. And the fact that because of the taxation policy and the exportation policy, because the Romans are taking the goods and exporting them out to all corners of the kingdom, that the peasant society that Jesus belonged to um, were, when they heard that parable that said, you know, this farmer went out and scattered his seeds among the rocks and on the path, and, you know, a normal farmer would be like, well, that's a that's stupid, like why would you do that and waste your seeds? But the people of that time would have been like, oh yeah, that's what we do, because the best farmland has been taken from us. And so we have to scatter our seeds everywhere because we don't, we don't have enough land. And so it's interesting that Jesus is implicitly shining the light on the oppression that they're experiencing. So that would have drawn them into the story like, yay, he gets us. But then he turns it on its head and says, this is actually about our hearts. And then it's three bad news, like it doesn't take, it doesn't really bloom here and doesn't bloom here. But then in the good soil, and this is like the surprise ending, that it doesn't just grow up like a normal crop, but it's the kingdom of God is different. It's different than what you think. It's going to be like a thousand times more than what you think it is. Um, so that, I think that's a great parable. You want an environmentalist when you do your <laughs> exegetical work on the parables. <laughs> You've convinced me. Now I'm going to ask you something. This is a personal question, so you'll have to indulge me. But one of my favorite metaphors actually comes from Isaiah, and it's the picture of the new city. So you ended talking about a place where we no longer have one temple, we no longer have one city. But part of what has funded my imagination has been the poetry of Isaiah that says there is this city. And we all process together. Mm -hmm. And we all get to worship together. And so I want you to talk to me about that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, well, and that was the brilliance of the prophet, certainly, Isaiah. Um, in imagining that there had to be, envisioning that there had to be something new. Um, I think what's wonderful about the, um, the Old Testament prophets is that, you know, some people say the Old Testament is all about predicting that Jesus is coming. I have to say it lays the foundation for what Jesus, as, as, a, as, a, as a Jewish reformer, among every, every other thing and person that, and, and, and divine presence that he is, he was making political statements. When he said the temple's coming down, he wasn't talking about dynamite. But he was making a political statement. He says, this is the seat of a client government that is working for Rome and a, and a, and a ritual tradition, uh, uh, a priestly class that has gone away from Torah. So all that this represents has to come down and be replaced by something new. 
Now, the prophets knew that. Now, they could never actually take themselves out of the tribal context and into a truly universal context. That remained to be done, and it remained for this next Jew to come along almost 800 years after Isaiah to do that. Yeah. So we can still hold on to the new city. Yes. Look, I mean, look at Revelation. And, 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 and you know, behold, I am bringing something new. It's absolutely yes. wonderful. And it uses that metaphor of Jerusalem, and it talks, and, 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 and the Jewish tradition talks about an earthly Jerusalem and a heavenly Jerusalem. I mean, everybody basically gets it. It's human nature to go back to the comfort zone and say, oh, no, 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 this is a real place. So the Christians take off to, re, re, you know, to take the Holy Land back from the infidels. And now Zionism comes back, understandably, but it's a big mistake to come back and take an actual piece of real estate because that's what we need to be spiritual and in touch with God and to have our safety. It doesn't work. The trajectory is away from nationalism and ethnic nationalism and, ba and borders. That's it, the blueprint's right there in the Gospels. So see, I need Mark to also help me understand. And that's what's so beautiful when we are all together is that my understanding, our understanding will be incomplete if we're not leaning into one another, especially from the places that we wouldn't normally look or normally lean to listen. So I selfishly appreciate being able to ask the first few questions, but we still have some time. And I'm curious, you have an environmentalist, you have a Jew, you have two theological minds, followers of Jesus at your disposal. What questions would you like to ask them? This is the good part. This is, <laughs> Mark says this is the good part. So please, we have a mic. Feel free to come and ask. Otherwise, I will keep asking my own questions. Mark, do you have a question for Leah while we wait? Wow. I mean, the idea of Jesus as an environmentalist, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful because, I mean, you see the damage that's done to the environment by tyrannies. Uh, wherever you look in the world, by greed by that sense that um, we are supposed to be the, the, the masters and the mistresses of, of the land. So I wonder to what extent, so can you take your analysis a little bit farther and say, okay, so Jesus was an environmentalist. He was deeply, deeply rooted in the land and in the natural world. So then, okay, but so, so what? Hmm. So what? What do we do with that? Well, I think a lot of us who are Christians, and I don't usually use the word environmentalist, but I use um, creation care just because it twigs things in people and they attach <laughs> ideas to you. Um, I think a lot of us wish that there was this sort of St. Francis moment for Jesus when all the birds came and landed on his hands, and <laughs> there wasn't that moment. But um, theologically, and being a knowing Hebrew, um, Jesus' favorite title for himself was Benazan. Son of Man. Yeah which is um, Adam, Adamah, which means dirt, earth. So he's basically saying, I am, and Paul continues this theme, um, the second Adam, the second earthling. And what was Adam's call? What was Adam's first assignment? To, to name the animals. Mm -hmm. And then to abad and shamar, I'm probably saying that wrong, you could say mm -hmm. it in Hebrew, but to care and to keep creation. To and guard over creation. To guard over creation. Yeah. And um, so I just think Jesus, I think this mat is definitely 
us and God and the whole community of humanity. But I think Jesus puts on this mat also his whole creation because he's the firstborn of creation and Paul tells us that, that through him all things were created and through him all things are being reconciled to God. So he's this huge gateway, not just for people, but for his beloved creation. And I think that just rocks our world and takes us out of like Republican, Democrat, like all these categories. And as Jesus followers, our world just embraces the world, the cosmos, as you were saying. Any questions? What's happened? Are people just, oh, here we go. Oh, good. <laughs> This one's for Mark. What is the biggest challenge for American Jews as they look to the struggle in Israel and Palestine? Wow, yeah. Well, Bart, we're in a lot of trouble as a community. Um, and I am in deep mourning about where, what the institutional Jewish community, where, where the institutional Jewish community is at. Um, it's really kind of dug in. I think the real challenge for American Jews um, is to wake up. Um, when I went to Israel, which I had been brought up to love, and which was indistinguishable from my identity as a Jew and from my Jewish religion, and, and that's wrong. Judaism is not Zionism. The Jewish people is not the state of Israel. And in, before 1948, that was true for institutional Judaism as well. Why would we want to be Zionists? Why would we want to have a nation state? We want to be a faith community like you Protestants. So when I went there, I had my heart broken. So the first job for Jews today is to have our hearts broken and then to mend back together again into something very new and something quite wonderful. Um, in the process, we embrace the Palestinians, Jew and Muslim. In the process, we meet Jesus. We meet the love of the Muslims for Jesus. We unpack the whole dominant American Judeo-Christian narrative of the clash of civilizations. And so we start to realize that if it's not true about the Palestinians, then maybe it's not true for the Pakistanis and the Iraqis and all those other dark people out there who worship another god and who want to destroy our civilization. We unpack all of that, so we lead with that. I think, to turn your question around for a moment, the challenge for American Christians is to be unapologetically Christian or unapologetically followers of Jesus, to understand that anti-Semitism, like any form of racism, is absolutely wrong and sinful, and that's over here, and you need to continue to be vigilant about that, and over here, is a human rights situation that for, you, for us as Americans and as people of faith is probably the most important one in the world today, not because of the level of suffering, there's worse suffering, but because of our complicity theologically and politically with it. And to say, if I'm really going to love my Jewish brothers and sisters, then I have to love you the way I love my alcoholic brother who's asking for another bottle and the keys to the car. That's the kind of love you have to give to the Jewish people, because we've got to wake up.
My name is Andy. As someone who is not only concerned about the redemption of humanity and the part we get to play in that, but also of creation, um, I have a two-part question. The first part is, what have you found the best way to engage, especially Christians who are like, why care about creation? The Bible doesn't say anything about that. There aren't any verses, which of course I completely disagree. But what have you found helps people engage with that and not just create a wall? And then the second part question deals with what you have both been talking about, about the new Jerusalem and how we get to be a part in that. And what I've read in Revelation about how within the new city, the, along the river of life, the tree of life is planted and the leaves are used for the healing of the nations. So how do you see creation being integrated even in our cities now to where that healing process could even begin currently while we're still waiting for the full redemption later? Okay, I've got a minute and 30 seconds. <laughs> Good luck. But I'm also actually speaking at this church tomorrow. I get to preach, not in this one, but at the other campus, wherever that is. Um, the first answer, I'll go with a parable. Let me tell you a story about a good Samaritan. Um, so if we want to truly love our neighbors, is it okay to pollute their air, to trash their water? Um, one thing that I learned this year that sort of, sort of shocked me, um, I watched this documentary called The Years of Living Dangerously, which was a Showtime documentary on climate change. Um, and they, Tom Friedman, who works for the New York Times, went to, in, to re do some reporting in Syria, went past the line and talked to these farmers who there were two droughts of such severity that they usually only happen like every couple hundred years, and they happen within 10 years of each other, which is just crazy unusual. Um, and so their farmland, it just dried up. They couldn't plant anything anymore, and they appealed to the Syrian government to do something, and they didn't do anything, and then civil war broke out because they were these disenfranchised people, then which, of course, opened the gate for ISIS. And so this is looking beyond um, the issue and the bad guy thing to what was happening. And, you know, some environmentalists want to blame everything on climate change. But it is interesting to look like the UN does say that um, environmental refugees are already outnumbering the refugees from um, conflict. So if we want to really love our neighbors, then we need to take care of their ecosystems. So that's a Christian value, and that's how I would approach it. And you'll have to come hear me tomorrow for part two. 